So in your bulletin, it says we're going to read this morning from the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John. And we will read from the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John on another Sunday. (laughs) This Sunday, we're going to read from the book of Acts, the second chapter. And we're going to uh, read the account that Mark just told us about. And this may be a familiar story uh, to those of you who have uh, been in the church for a long time, but if you're visiting, if you're exploring the faith, uh, this story may sound like an experience that is so far removed from our daily life. And yet, I believe that there is a universal truth to be found in this story, a universal truth that takes on a particular form in our lives all the time. So whether or not you are hearing this story for the first time or you've heard, you're hearing this story for the hundredth time, may we all listen with new ears. Friends, listen for the word of the Lord to all of us this day. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as if the Spirit gave them ability. Now, there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered. Because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, "Um, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, all in our own language. We hear them. We hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and all were perplexed, saying to one another, But what does this what does this mean? But others sneered and said, They're just full of new wine. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before I pray, uh, can I just say, whoever wrote these words wanted us to know the miracle of this story by forcing the reader to get all of those nations correct. (laughs) See, it really was a miracle. Let us pray. Awaken us, O God. Awaken us, mind, body, and spirit, to your spirit that hovers here, 
in this very sanctuary, just as your spirit hovered over the waters of creation. And we dare to pray, O God, that you would reach across the ages and breathe new life into these ancient words, that they would be your word to us here and now, and that you would breathe new life into the words of my mouth and into the meditations of all of our hearts, that all would be acceptable and pleasing to you, O God, for you are our rock and our Redeemer. For we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. The Holy Spirit can be difficult for we Presbyterians to talk about. If you don't believe me, just ask anyone who has taught confirmation. If you've ever taught confirmation, will you raise your hand? Do y'all want to come and preach this sermon on the Holy Spirit? It's difficult, is it not, my friends, who have taught confirmation? And uh, visitors, you should know, confirmation is the class that our teenagers go through. It's a a year-long study where our teenagers wrestle with the faith before they decide to confirm the baptismal vows that their parents made on their behalf when they were children. All of my confirmation teachers know that the Holy Spirit is so difficult to teach on because how do you try to contain what is uncontainable? How do you speak on uh, the Spirit that is somewhat unexplainable? I learned this hard truth uh, when I was in seminary. First year of seminary, I interned at Trinity Presbyterian Church in Atlanta, and part of my internship, I was assigned to be one of the teachers of the confirmation class, and then I was assigned those beloved people. They assigned me the lesson on the Holy Spirit. Now, you should know that I was uh, a lot like almost every first-year seminarian I've ever met. I thought that I was going to be God's great gift to the entire world, and I thought, easy. I, I could teach on the Holy Spirit? How hard can that be? The Holy Spirit breathes new life. The Holy Spirit is uncontainable. The Holy Spirit creates. And so I went to my computer and I started weeks before my lesson typing. This is the definition of the Holy Spirit. This is how the Holy Spirit shows up in scripture. And I bored myself. I deleted it. I worked on a new approach. No, this is how we come to know the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you about the story of my life. It was terrible. And so I turned in my lesson on the Holy Spirit to toothpaste and toothpicks. Now, you should know when I was a kid, when I would uh, stay the weekends with my Nana and Papa, my uh, grandmother and my grandfather, they used the same toothpaste. It was Trident toothpaste. Anybody remember Trident toothpaste? You will remember Trident toothpaste, uh, three, try, three colors, one tube, and Americans. Red, white, and blue. You can't, we can't brush our teeth with any other colors, right? And so Trident toothpaste, I went to the CVS, I picked up a couple tubes, I went to the church, I got paper plates, I squeezed a long 
strand of Trident toothpaste on the middle of a paper plate. I put it at everybody's table. We had 55 confirmands that year. We had five teachers, 60 people in the room. And as everybody walked in, I handed everybody a toothpick. And I said, okay, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to give you 15 minutes. And I need every table to make sure that you, ha- you separate the white strand from the red strand from the blue strand. I'm going to give you 15 minutes. Ready? And they said, oh, we got this. This is so easy. Weeping and gnashing of teeth followed. Quit messing up. You're pulling the blue into the white. My red now has blue all in it, and it's starting to look black. And then they started to laugh. They got it. Matthew, this is impossible. We can't separate all these colors on a plate. Why'd you ask us to do this? This is ridiculous. And I said, my dear friends, it is impossible to separate the Spirit from the Father or the Son. But my dear friends, I wonder if as a church, Big C Church, have we not tried our best to separate the Spirit? Carl uh, Rahner, the famed theologian, says this, If we remove the doctrine of the Trinity from our lives and from the church today, 90% of our lives and our faith would go unchanged. 98% of our lives and our faith would go unchanged. I don't want to agree with him. I don't want to agree with him, but I got to tell you, if I'm really honest, it's probably true in my life. I mean, I'm a cradle Presbyterian. I like my Holy Spirit like I like everything as a Presbyterian. I like my spirit decent and in order. That's right. I like the spirit contained on this Sunday, Pentecost. I like to know what to expect. I like to have a committee so we can plan on how the Holy Spirit will manifest herself in the world. But what happens if we seek to separate the Spirit out of the church? What's at risk? It seems that we, Carolyn, did you say everything? This concludes the sermon moment. I will see you next week. I'll learn not to do that next time. What's at risk if we seek to separate the spirit out of the church and our lives? Carolyn's right, and we're not the first to ask this question. We're not the first to ask this question. Uh, In 380, the year, uh, Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire through an edict of Thessalonica. And when Christianity became the official religion of the empire... There are a group of Christians known then as the follower, followers of the way who saw this as a big problem. These followers of the way said when the religion becomes uh, the official religion of the empire, uh, the empire is going to try to contain the power of this religion. That Christianity is going to lose its ability to transform lives. Simply put, uh, these early followers of the way felt 
that the transformative path was going to be neutered. And so they fled. They left uh, Jerusalem and they ran into the desert. And they went into caves and they built little dwellings and they, would, they lived by themselves. They would uh, only come out to share dinner together. They spent their days in silence and in prayer. These people were the early monastics. We now know them as the desert mothers and desert fathers. And why did they flee and go into the desert? They went into the desert because they believed that their lives were to be oriented around the spirit of God that was found in all times and in all places. Another way to say this, the desert mothers, desert fathers believed that the kingdom of God was not a far off place that you went but by the power of the Holy Spirit, that the kingdom of God was to be actualized and lived in in the here and now. The desert mothers, desert fathers, believed that this spirit of God was as close to us, to quote the psalmist, as close to you as your very breath. Because the desert mothers, desert fathers knew that in the Hebrew, the, the word for spirit is the same for wind, breath, spirit. The desert mothers, desert fathers knew that if they got quiet enough in those caves, if they focused hard enough, they could come to hear the very heartbeat of God behind all of creation. And they could hear it as their very breath. The desert mothers and desert fathers awakened to the reality that the source of their life was the very name of God, Yahweh, in the Hebrew. Carolyn's right. What's at stake if we seek to separate the spirit out of the church? Everything. Uh, in Acts, the text that we read, they had come from uh, north, south, east, and west. Literally, if we were to uh, look at a map and to see where all of those countries uh, were geographically, it would form a perfect circle around the entire city of Jerusalem. They came from every corner, and these disciples of every different nationality come into this room when a mighty wind, a blast of wind, awakens these disciples to what has been true the whole time. The Spirit of God has always been within them. That their lives are the very place where the Spirit of God lives and moves and has her being. In that moment, flames of tongues illumine them to the reality of God's presence that has always been in their lives. And it surprised them. And it surprised everyone else who had experienced it. The universal became particular for those disciples. Let me say it this way. The Spirit of God is as close to you as your very breath. That's a universal truth. But that truth comes to us in particular ways 
in our lives to reveal just how true it is. Theologically, God is love. Universal truth. Particular truth, God came in the form of Jesus the Christ. Universal truth. The Spirit is close close to you as your very breath, transforming all parts of your life. Particular truth, right here last week. John Livingston uh, is sitting right over here in the south transept. And uh, John is the chair of finance, of the finance committee at the Preston Hollow Presbyterian Church Foundation. John, simply put, my friends, is a numbers guy. If we were to ask John, how many meetings have you uh, sat in in your life here at the church? I would imagine John would say, I don't know, Matthew. I've sat in probably a hundred finance meetings. And if we said, tell me about those meetings, John would say, well, they always open in prayer. We always have an agenda. Someone always uh, passes out the numbers, the spreadsheet. Numbers are reported. Uh, Questions are asked. We debate and discuss spend rate. We then make recommendations. Then we close in prayer and we go home. It's all ministry, but you can't see it because most of the time it just feels like you're at work. It's a a regular business meeting. Uh Uh-uh. Last week we saw what happened. John has been in a hundred meetings. He's sitting right over here. And he is supposed to do what's in the script. John Livingston, get up and announce our scholarship recipients for this coming year. Friends, we do it every year. It's special every year, but we do it every year. We have the script. We know what is going to happen, except John Livingston got right here. And he said, on behalf of the Preston Hollow Presbyterian Church Foundation, I'm here to announce the 2021 scholarship recipients. But this year we have a new scholar that I want to announce. It's the city scholar. Her name is Ramo. And what had been true the entire time was awakened in John Livingston because as John stood here, he said, before I announce Ramo, I just need a second. He was overcome with emotion. Kyle Hughes, I was sitting right where you're sitting this morning. I had my two kiddos with me. Sarah was there. And as John started uh, welling up with tears in his eyes, I began to well up with tears in my eyes because I knew what John was trying to say. John was trying to tell you the story of Ramo, who was a political refugee from Somalia and who at a very early age was convinced that uh, her life was destined to be a child bride. And so she and her family sought political asylum to the United States, and they were granted that asylum. But first, they had to go to Ethiopia, where they were in a refugee camp for five years. Friends, I want to pause this here for one second. Can you imagine spending five years in a refugee camp? And Ramo and her family, after five years in a refugee camp, were granted asylum to this country. And Ramo ended up living over in Vickery Meadow. 
And Rama went to Conrad High School. And this church at the corner of Preston and Walnut Hill sort of stumbled their way to trying to follow Christ in the world, and they care for every immigrant over in the Vickery Meadow neighborhood. So they wanted to care for Ramo. And John Livingston, a numbers guy, was just going to a meeting. When it was announced that we uh, were going to invest scholarships in a new way, and there was this woman named Ramo. John knew all of that before he stepped into this lectern. He knew it to be true the whole time. And sometimes, my dear friends, a mighty wind awakens us to the indwelling spirit that has been present with us all of our days, as close to us as our very breath. In that moment, not to speak for John, but to speak for John, John came to know the transformation found in the power of the Spirit. John came to know that there was no place that was off limits from the Spirit of God in his life. John came to know that everything that he thought was just normal is not normal. Everything that John thought was contained on a spreadsheet is uncontainable. Everything that John thought he could explain is unexplainable. The universal truth became particular for John Livingston. So the particular could become universal for us all. And what's true for John is true for you. Because it was true for these disciples in a room long, long, long ago. What's true for them is true for us, my friends. That the Spirit of God on this Pentecost Sunday is as close to you as your breath, transforming your life by the grace of God into ministry and love and mercy and grace. I pray, I pray that we will catch a glimpse of that good news in our own lives. Will you pray with me? In the stillness and the quiet of this place, O oh God, we can finally hear ourselves breathe. We recognize even the very breath we take now 
is a gift from you. For our breath is the source of our lives. And may we come to recognize for the rest of our days that in our breath, we find you. May we recognize in this moment, we need not go in search of you. For you are already with us. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. For we pray in Christ's holy name.